building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. So Matt Brown, you are uh, you're an evangelist, which is something that's interesting because we don't hear that term a lot. It's one of those old school terms, but it's such an important term. Your, your, your focus is really on leading people to Christ, which is a novel idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. What, what, is, what makes an evangelist? How, how, do you, how are you an evangelist? What does that mean? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in a Christian home, sensed a call to ministry at an early age, uh, but it was, wasn't until my late teens, I went to a youth conference, and there was an evangelist in town from San Francisco that was speaking in Minneapolis at this youth conference. And it was a powerful few days, but the second day he was talking about having a burden for people who don't know the Lord, for people who are far from God, for people outside the church. My world was a small church that I grew up at, nice Christian family. Some of my ancestors were Mennonite, so kind of Amish, you know, simple. Not that my parents did that or my grandparents did that, but that's kind of, you know, I still see some traces of that in our family. Uh, Like, for instance, I always choose to wear black. I don't know why. It's just, it's the Mennonite tradition. And, uh, so I, I, uh, was at this conference though, and he was talking about people though, who are far from God, people who are outside the church who need to hear the message of the gospel, because this is, this is a fundamental, this is a core Christian thing is that we need to share the good news that we have with everybody around us. And of course I'd heard that my whole life in church, but, and up to this point, Ken, I had brought some friends from my school to our youth group. And then I'd have my mom witness to him on the way home because we'd pick him up and drive him home. Uh, but I hadn't really started to share my faith fully. And uh, the second day of this conference, I just, uh, as, as he preached the message and he preached about reaching people, I just felt God really break my heart. And uh, in that moment, speak into me, my heart and say, I'm calling you to be an evangelist. I just sensed this very strong call to spend my life sharing the good news of Christ with people outside the church. And so I've, I've attempted to do that now for about 20 years. Uh, started a ministry called Think Eternity. And my focus every day, it's just very simple. I just want to share the gospel. I do it. Of course, I preach. I do it through books. I do it through social media. I do it through any opportunity that I can. And I'm spending my life trying to, yes, I share messages for Christians and encouragement for people in their faith, but I'm especially trying to share the gospel message. And so for me, that's what it is. Why is it so important is because, uh, number one, every Christian's called to share, share Christ. We're all called to share Christ. Like I might not have influence with a lot of the listeners, friends here, uh, but they do. And something coming from them when they've lived out their life in front of people is going to be a lot more powerful than seeing a little video come across Facebook from me or from you or a promise keeper speaker. Um, Every God wants to use every single one of us. And then, of course, there's people who have a specific call to do different things. And for me, I just have, I just sense very clearly, I feel like God confirmed it so many times, spend your life doing this. So that's what I've been doing now. It's so weird because I grew up in the church, a real church kid, you know, real sheltered. And uh, I feel called to reach people outside the church. So I've been, yeah, I've been spending my life doing that. It's been, it plays out in a lot of different ways, but uh, I just, you can't shake the call, man. You know, there's, I think a lot of people might struggle with their call, but then there's some people where you're like, I just, it's just so obvious. It's so clear. It's so, 
life-changing and transforming. And I think God wants to help all of us get to a place where we have a clear understanding of what we're supposed to do. So it is, it is kind of an old school thing though, you know, in a sense that there's, there's, it's, it's more rare. It's more of a rare calling than a pastor. You see, you said two things. You said everybody should be evangelizing because it's what Christ told us to do, but then there's a specific call to be an evangelist. And so um, what I'm taking from that is that God is not calling everybody to run around telling everybody about Christ, because I think there's some sort of strategic thinking that needs to go in relational stuff. Some people, you know, you and I talk about our mutual good friend, Greg Steer, that dude. I mean, every time I go to dinner with Greg, he witnesses to the server. I mean, every time, not, not part of the time. It's like, do you know, Jesus, can I pray for you? And it's like, wow. Um, he is completely focused on leading people to Christ everywhere he goes all the time. I couldn't do that. I, I do witness all the time because I feel that I need to, but it will come through relationship. I'll sit next to somebody, talk to them for a while, and then lead it into Christ. Uh, but so you're saying everybody should be sharing Christ, but there are some people who have a specific calling and gift for that. You and, and Steer would obviously be two of those people. Right. And Steer is at the top level ability, passion. Now, I would say this because uh, there's a few people I could count on one hand who are just incredible witnesses when it comes to just personally witnessing. Greg Steer, if you know Mark Middleberg, he's Lee Strobel's best friend. My mom, honestly, is someone who's like everywhere she goes, she goes in a gas station, people get saved. She's meets someone in a That's parking great. lot of a grocery store, they get saved, their whole life turns around, now they're in ministry. I mean, this this happens everywhere uh, for her uh, and a few others. Now, actually, I myself, and even recently when I was talking to Mark Middleberg, who I consider one of those people. It's more, Mark shared this. He said, it's more of a reluctance. You know, he's like, I'm not like, like he doesn't even consider himself on the level. Now I would just say for myself, I've shared Christ personally with thousands of people. I've shared Christ on platforms or other uh, means with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. But I'm not going around necessarily witnessing the way you're saying either, because I think even that is a unique gift even if maybe someone wouldn't be called mm-hmm. to be an evangelist, but they just have a, just this strategic ability. Now that said, I have a burden. I have a very strong burden from the Lord to spend my life every day to try to think of how I can share the message of Christ. And, uh, and I pray for and look for opportunities, but I'm not on, I'm not on those levels, but after having done it so many times over the years, it's, you know, I don't have the same level of fear or, you know, it, it you become more comfortable, I think, in in that calling. So, part of what it is an evangelist too, Ken, is is any minister is your job is to train other people too. It's to equip other people. So, the scripture that says God gave some evangelists, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, it says for the equipping of the saints. So, you know, part of it for me is just to inspire other people to do it. You know, and so if you think about it, if every Christian shared the gospel with just a few people like the whole world will get saved because there's so many Christians. This movement has grown from the time of Christ from 12 to hundreds to thousands. And 2000 years after Jesus walked the face of the earth and the gospel has not lost an ounce of its power. The gospel is still transforming individuals. It's still transforming families. It's still transforming communities. It's still transforming nations, this message about Christ. And there's just, what it is, I think what I've learned, if there's anything I could share with your listener, it's that there's just a Holy Spirit power when you 
share this simple message about Christ. It's still there. And you don't have to be super good at it. You don't have to be the most anointed, you know, person who's ever said this before. Uh, it's been said, you know, there's, there's a quote that, uh, I might not be the best person at preaching the gospel, but no one can preach a better gospel than me. And so it's really Mm, the emphasis is on the message. And it's, I think what every Christian needs to understand, what every person needs to understand is it's not, you don't have to come up with some new message. You just share this old gospel, this simple message of what Jesus has done, of God's great love for us, that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sin, to pay the price that we couldn't pay. And when we put our trust in him, when we believe in him, we experience his grace, his forgiveness, the fulfillment that our heart longs for. And when we share that simple message and we say, like, I've got, I've experienced that in my life with anyone around us. And by the way, Ken, you don't need to even do it in person. You can do it through a message on Facebook. You can do it through a DM on Instagram. You can tweet out a video that shares this message, whatever it might be, wherever, wherever you are, or you could be with a server like Greg Steer and talking to someone in a restaurant, but wherever you are, God wants to use you to share that simple message. And it's not the, 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 the weight of this isn't on you, but it's on the message. And God just still uses that message. And it's, it's unbelievable. Of course, you want to pray for him and all sorts of things, but you share that message and it's, it's shocking how God still uses it today. But isn't it way more important to win arguments on Facebook over social issues than to share Christ? I mean, isn't that what Facebook is about? I mean, this is the great (laughs) struggle of our day. You know, um, I felt so burdened for America. I felt so burdened for our nation. Actually, I don't, I don't usually think about like politics that much. I don't usually think about even praying for our country probably as much as some people might, or, or as much as I probably should have. Uh, but I've just had such a burden through this season because of course there's so much going on in America. There's so much going on in the world that just looks crazy. <laughs> you know, you want, <laughs> and by the way, Ken, I don't say almost anything that I want to say online. I have a lot of opinions about it, but I try to be careful. <laughs> I try to be careful. It's not, the, but I've, I've, I have felt the burden to say a little bit more, to be a little bit more courageous than I would uh, and speak into some of it because I don't want to just give over all of those arguments to, uh, to people who have crazy agendas, who have crazy ideas, but I want to be a voice for truth in some of it. So I think that we, as believers, we should feel okay to say some things but we have to be careful too, because uh, we don't want to become more known for what we're against than for what we're for. We have the greatest message that's ever been given. And God forbid, we're just only talking over here about stuff that's lesser, right? Uh, it, it's once been said that the first believers and followers of Christ didn't say, look what the world has come to. They said, look who has come to the world. And that fundamental shift to keep the focus on Christ is very important. And I'll say this too, Ken, to keep the focus on hope. To keep the focus on this incredible hope that we have in in the worst time in history, right? The worst time, and it's not necessarily the worst time in history, but it's really bad. In some of the weird times, we still have this hope. We still have this unbelievable peace even with what's going on right now. And so we got to stay focused on that message, even when I think believers are supposed to speak into some of the things, probably more than we do. We're, you know, obviously I'm speaking on the side of more of like a conservative, silent majority, uh, you know, from my perspective, my side, 
and and we're just quiet about stuff. We just we just let stuff happen. We don't say how we feel about it all, all the time. But we should say, hey, you know, I believe that it's it's not a good idea to give three people all the power in the world. There's a reason for a federal government where power is spread out because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you don't want to just give one party and one small group of people more and more and more power, right? So I don't know if that's okay to say on the podcast, but that's stuff I don't share a lot. But coming from, from that perspective, uh, we should say some of those things, but we, we don't want to get distracted, though, uh, and, not, and not stay focused on the incredible hope that we have, right? So, so it's, it's this tension, I think, that every believer feels uh, more so right now than probably ever before. So, I mean, when you're talking about, let, let's stick on that. You, you, you write in your last book and you've got your new book right behind you there. Uh, can you show that book a little bit more clearly in the camera? Yep. True plus, True plus love, love, the Jesus way to influence. And in that I talk about, you know, as believers we're called to live by God's truth, but I write chapters throughout that book on the fruit of the spirit. And so I say, you know, if we hold, if we walk in love, if we lack in joy, if we walk in peace, if we focus on being a person of joy and peace and carry that together with the truth, there'll be just this incredible, this incredible power and influence to be able to impact people. So you, you talk about the fact that there's a crisis of, in, of influence within Christianity. And I mean, I mean, maybe bring that out a little bit. We, we talked before we started rolling about um, the fact that Christians are often arguing with people who have a completely different worldview. You're arguing with people, for instance, um, I just had COVID forever and, uh, and it was a horrible thing. But I, I remember as I was laying there with COVID, um, thinking, what would this be like if I didn't know Christ? You know, like I, I can't imagine having COVID and having no hope, no thinking if I end up in the hospital and I can't breathe and all the stuff that, you know, the horror stories of COVID I, I didn't, I didn't fear anything other than I didn't want to go to the hospital. Right. <laughs> but you know, the sickness, I wanted to get better, but I knew that Christ was there. So many of these people that were engaging in arguments or were trying to influence, they don't have any hope. This world is all they know. It's all there is. And so sometimes I think we can be very ingracious and unempathetic when we're having discussions with people going back to the Facebook thing, when we forget that, they don't have the hope that we have. And that's the number one thing that we can talk to them about is getting them. The only way to get them under the same worldview as us, the same way of seeing things is the grace of Jesus Christ. Is that the fact that they need to believe in Christ and repent of their sins? Right. No, I mean, it's, it's so There's important. There's a question in there somewhere, man. Yeah, right. No, it's so, <laughs> it's so important. And, and I've wrestled with this. Um, and let me just go back for a second. Cause when I first started a ministry about 20 years ago, Again, grew up in a Christian home, went to Bible college, began traveling and preaching around the country, sensing this call, this stirring to be an evangelist. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure when I look back, I came across as too harsh in some of what I said. And I was, uh, I was uh, legalistic in some ways. And it was out of this passion. Because I believe as Christians, we're called to live with this massive passion, like passion about everything, really, but passion about Jesus. Uh, God just does that inside of you when you, when you come to him. And so I just had this passion and it the way it played out was I thought spiritual maturity was how intense I was in fasting, praying and witnessing. And so to me, it was like, 
Now, those are vital. Those are, those are vital disciplines. In fact, if God's doing work in your life, you're probably going to be very drawn to those things. But what I began to realize over the years and what led into writing Truth Plus Love was that it's not, spiritual maturity isn't how intense you are. Spiritual maturity is how much you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. The more you become loving, the more you become p- full of peace and full of joy and full of kindness and gentleness and how you carry the truth of God's word, that's how you know that you're growing. Because it says like the spirit will produce this in you. Well, how much is the spirit having access to my life? How much is this being produced, right? And so I just realized that when you carry, God's truth is powerful, by the way. There is Holy Spirit and God's, Holy Spirit power in God's word. And so when we share God's truth, there's a, the Bible talks about it goes forth. It doesn't return void. There's, there's power. It talks about it as a two-edged sword. I mean, it cuts people to the heart, but there's also this biblical call to be careful though, to be wise, to be gentle, to have compassion for people. Scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with every person. Scripture says, everything you do, do all things with love. So there's never a point where we're not called to have love and peace in what we say, even when we speak truth into culture, even when we talk to someone. So going back to what you said, we have to be careful because these people aren't our enemies. Uh, we're supposed to love them with like they're a lost child of our father in heaven. And so we just have to be careful because you can, you know, as my friend Greg Laurie says, you can win an argument and lose a soul. So it's not that, you know, I, I'm, I try to be careful about this stuff because I, what I don't want to say is I'm not against people trying to uh, speak into what's going on in culture. So I've always tried to, every time I've talked about my book, I've always tried to say, I'm not trying to tell you, you shouldn't be speaking into this stuff. I'm not trying to tell you, you know, like I, I kind of want to keep a wide parameter of what every person might feel a comfort level to speak more or less into. But what I am saying is you have to have the right spirit. I think is if you're going to really honor God, you have to have the right attitude and the right motive about why you're trying to share these things, about why you're trying to speak into, for instance, culture wars and things like that. And most importantly, we need to keep the focus on the gospel. So, you know, I just think people have to be careful. This is just what I've come to. I've been in ministry a long time. I, I, you know, I know that there's been times when I was, was too intense. And so what I realized is, I really want to be, I want to have the, the mindset, the character of Christ, the attitude of Christ when I'm trying to share this message. And I don't want to get distracted on stuff that's lesser. I think um, there's a couple of things that are important to remember in what we're talking about now. The first one is we don't have human enemies. Our enemies are supernatural. They are Satan's people. And the people that we're talking to are deceived by Satan. I have to remember that we're when we're talking to people, even when they're hateful and they're awful and they're so immoral, right, they're true. just deceived people who need Jesus, right? Um, the second thing, though, is being loving sometimes means being um, confrontational. Christ is the ultimate example, and he was pretty darn confrontational. Who was he confrontational with? Christ never talks to Rome. He's not interested in Rome. He's interested in his people. And making more people his people. But he's not, you don't see Christ out around there ripping on Rome. You see him actually going after his people to make them more holy. And so I often talk about the fact that there are the enslaved and the enslavers. And most people are the enslaved, 98%, pick a number, 
are enslaved to their sin and they desperately need to be unlocked from their sin. 2% of the people are wicked. They're ultimately evil. And, and God says he's actually closed their eyes so that they can't be saved. They, they are deceived and he's going to leave them deceived because they're so bad. Why? Because they're taking advantage of all the other people, making sure that they stay enslaved. We have to know who we're dealing with when we're talking to people about Christ. Most people are enslaved, deceived by Satan, but it is not our job to condemn or judge who's who. It's our job to spread the word of Christ and to be wise. Don't throw your pearls before swine or they'll trample them in the mud and turn and tear you to pieces. If somebody is rejecting you, walk away. And then I'll tell a brief story about it. I met a, um, one of the original astronauts and uh, we were on a plane and, and he's very old and uh, he came to Denver to meet with me again after that. And then I felt the Lord really stirring me. You need to go down to Florida and, and witness to him. So I went down and for five hours, we had this talk. It was unbelievable. It was so cool. At one point during the talk, he actually was talking about how he was responsible for why we were launching from Siberia and not Florida. I'm like, well, why? He said, well, obviously, Ken, because you, when you leave Florida, you have to fly like 5,000 miles to the east. And then before you can go up, I'm like, well, why is that? He goes, well, okay. He just, he sits down and he writes all these math calculations out. He goes, see? And I'm like, that's awesome. Man, I've got an English degree. I, I don't I don't know what that says. You know, he's looking at me like I'm so dumb that I don't understand all these math calculations. But after five hours of witnessing to him and him telling me the old stories, we had a great time sitting out on the on the ocean in Florida. Um, I made no inroads with him whatsoever. And he agreed with me on everything. I mean, I had like your friendly struggle. I had all the case for Christ stuff laid out. I had everything. I figured I was going to be in like this logic science discussion with him. He agreed with me on everything. Man, Jesus died. And, but he wasn't going to get saved. And as I left there, I'm like, Lord, what, what did I do wrong? What, what went wrong? And, and, and the Lord told me, um, he didn't know he needed a savior. See, he was agreeing with you logically and everything, but he didn't see himself as someone who was in need of a savior. And I, I, I learned a big lesson at that moment. First of all, be a lot more prayerful when I go in to do the Lord's work. But secondly, to really hone in on what is the need of the person I'm speaking to? Because some people are broken and they need Christ. But some people like this guy, he he wasn't broken. He didn't know that he needed Christ. He was pretty impressed with himself. And he had a lot of reasons in the world to be impressed with himself. But he was very smart. What he needed to do was be told he was a sinner. And I didn't start off there. Yeah, he's like, I walked on the moon. I'm good. <laughs> it's funny. I asked him, I go, what was it like, you know, being in space? And he's like, you know, you're up there. And it's black everywhere. All you see is blackness, except for this blue thing with all this light on it. I'm like, mm. well, how, well, how did you make that that make you feel? And I thought I was going to get something sort of profound. And he's like, I just sat up there and wondered, how could so few people F up such a beautiful place? I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> I tried to get, you know, this whole thing. And um, it was amazing, though, to think about that perspective of uh, – you're in, all you see is black as far as you can. There's just one little thing with a bunch of light. Doesn't that make you think about God and oh, yeah. um, how his intention on, is on this planet, this little thing and these little tiny people on this little planet. And I couldn't get anywhere with him because I was trying to have a logical conversation about something that was spiritual. Yeah. It's just so important that, uh, that we care about the people, you know, and focus, uh, and, and, don't see like everything's become political nowadays and we need to not see everyone with like, I like, I like how you shared it because 
People have a lot of opinions. They're deceived about stuff. The Bible even says that. It says that they're blinded to the good news of the gospel in the face of Christ, uh, the glory of God in the face of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. So uh, we need to pray that their eyes are open, that the the stuff that blocks them from seeing Jesus is removed. But we also need to be, uh, you know, to be winsome. I think that that's kind of the the theme that I was trying to get to in my book is we need to be winsome. And you've probably heard this quote before. I just love it. But D.L. Moody, uh, who I just, I've read like dozens of his books and biographies, love quoting him. And he said that out of 99, you know, out of 100 people, 99 probably will never pick up a Bible. And one might pick up a Bible and read it, but 99 will read the Christian. And that's why it's so important as a Christian, we don't just have the right message because anyone can have the right message nowadays. Everyone can post the right things on social media, but it's more about living a Christ-like life. And when you live with the love that Christ had, with the joy that he had, the peace that he had, if you think about the fruit of the spirit for a second, it's the character of God. God is saying, imitate your father in heaven. Walk with the love that I have. Walk with the joy that I have. And I don't know if your listener knows this, but God is joyful. You can, you, there's fulfillment that's available to you. The greatest fulfillment in the world, but it's available in Christ, not in our own ways. God says, uh, God has this incredible peace. He brings peace to the world. You know, God is faithful to us. God is gentle with us and kind to us. It's his kindness that draws us. And it's us exhibiting those things that will draw other people to this message that we have. So that's really what I was trying to get to is that, you know, we, we can't just politicize everything and attack people. And then those are the people we're trying to reach. So we got to be really careful. They better know, even if we disagree with them, we care so much about them. And, and then I'll just add this too, Ken, because nowadays everything's on social media and people are throwing things around online. You got to be careful to engage in that stuff. You don't have to have an argument with everybody, every stranger that you've never met on the internet. You know, like you said, you can just walk away with walk away from some of that. And you have to kind of wisely choose if you really if it's really going to make a difference to talk to somebody that you don't know online about something, really. So you just you have to have a lot of self-control these days. And I think that's important. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. Talking to uh, Matt Brown, evangelist extraordinaire, Matt, um, author of Truth Plus Love, and uh, talking about really spreading the, the the word of Christ, but not being cowardly. And you were bringing up um, Dwight Moody, who preached in the late 1800s. When we think of America as this great Christian nation, 
And what was his take back in those days? You know, 99 people out of 100 aren't even going to pick up a Bible, but they're all right. reading the Christian. And uh, we see Spurgeon and we see Andrew Murray and a lot of great saints of, of the day back in the 1800s struggling then. And so Tim Dunn is a good friend of mine down in Texas often says that um, we don't live in the hardest time. It's just our turn. And you think about the fact that, you know, when Paul was writing his words, they were about to start burning people at the stake you know, near those garden parties. Um, people were being tortured to death. And in fact, already James had already been killed when Paul was writing a lot of his writings. And we see, you know, the Inquisition and we see even the Middle Ages as um, the Muslims poured up through Spain and took over a lot of Europe before Christians actually started fighting back. And, and we see the persecution even in the last 500 years. If you live that book, we, we interviewed Rob Dreyer. In fact, on your podcast, if you have a chance, you should interview him. On He wrote that book, Living Up by Lies. Unbelievable. Talking about what went on in Soviet-controlled Europe, how horrible the torture was. In that book, he talks about how there were 30 priests they lined up, and one of these guys who became a Christian, one of the guards that was there, saw it. And they put a gun up to the head of every one of these 30 priests and told them, can't Christ, and none of them did. They would shoot. They would line them up. Um, in, in a line so that when they shot the guy in front of you, you know, the blood would splatter all over you and then it would give you a chance. All 30 priests stood with Christ. So the idea that we live in this horrific, horrible time, well, give me a break. No one's going to burn you at the stake. No one's going to behead your, your wife because you didn't recant your faith. So this, this whining victimization that we have as Christians, we start standing up and being strong, start sharing our faith. What's the worst that's going to happen to you? Someone's going to call you an idiot. So what? Big deal. And and on social media, we need to start exercising grace, not not arguing from a, a spirit of defensiveness, but engaging people. Because remember, you're not engaging the person that you're talking to. You're engaging the hundreds and maybe thousands of people who are watching this, who are reading what you say. I don't ever argue with anybody. I don't get involved in social media. But my wife, very spiritually mature, and will often correct people using scripture, and she'll get droves of people contacting her on the side or, you know, through messenger. I read what you, you wrote in it and it, it would change my life. And Elliot will say to me, her name is Elliot. She'll say, it's amazing to me because none of them will engage them publicly. None of them will get involved, but they'll come in from the side and tell me they're supporting me. Hey, that's what it's going to be like. I mean, a lot of times you're going to be standing up for Christ and other people are going to be standing off to the sides and in the shadows, listening, judging, gauging. Those are the people you're really talking to. It's not the, not the, angry person who's calling you a bunch of names, you know, through it, who you have a bigger audience to there, be gracious, scriptural, and understanding that people are all coming from vastly different backgrounds, backgrounds of abuse, backgrounds of privilege, whatever they might be. Be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, share Christ, understanding that they're not your enemy. They're deceived. And you've got a big audience that's listening to what you're saying. Yeah, totally. One of one of my uh, dear friends, uh, father in law, is a uh, was on the KGB's most wanted list uh, back during before the fall of the Iron Curtain, and I believe it was four separate times. Uh, spent three years in prison for spreading the gospel. He was kind of the National Baptist youth leader during that time of of the area, and so they he just kept witness. He kept sharing his faith, and they kept targeting him and then arresting him. And every single time it was like he was going to die in prison. Like he miraculously survived. Now today he has beautiful kids, beautiful grandkids. He's act he actually lives in, in Southern California now. Uh, but he spent his life, he, and he spent his life, uh, you know, uh, just doing 
doing God's work in the hardest of times, like you're saying, and saw horrific things. And what was amazing, Ken, is that after the fall of the Soviet of the Iron Curtain, he began to uh, pre- he continued to preach the gospel, but he began to see stadiums filled with people that were hearing the gospel message preached. He was actually the one that set up Billy Graham to do the Moscow Crusade that he that he held so many years ago, and opened the doors for Billy Graham to come in. Uh, his name is Joseph Bondarenko. There's a there's a book you can read about his story called KJB's Most Wanted. Um, and so just, just such an inspiring story. And one of the, one of the other stories I want to share with you is something that's just dramatically impacted me is this, uh, single Sunday school teacher named Henrietta Mears back in the 1930s. And she actually came from, uh, uh she was a teacher here in Minneapolis, but midlife got an invitation from a pastor down at Hollywood Presbyterian to come down and be the Sunday school teacher, uh, kind of youth, young adults education person at the church. So she moved down. She, uh, her and her sister both never married. So they moved down together and uh, she became the Sunday school teacher at this church, this uh, youth, young adult services, everything that was happening. And she was this incredible Bible teacher. And during the, her time there, uh, the youth and young adults grew to like six, 7,000 young people that were coming to all of those services that were happening throughout the week. And she had this dramatic influence. But one of the significant things that impacted her was, uh, was during uh, World War II, just as the war was ending, she was going to take a sabbatical from ministry. So she was taking like, I don't know, half a year, year off, went for some reason down to Central South America with her sister. And they were kind of like probably taking kind of an extended vacation time. But a lot of her young people had fought in the war. And so she was able to kind of figure out how to get a passport over, even though they weren't letting people over in Europe at that time, she was able, they were able to get passports over. She went and she saw the devastation of what had taken place from the wickedness of men. And her heart was just absolutely obliterated, just totally broken. I mean, she'd been in ministry for a long time, but when you see the craziness of the world going on around you, it's something that God can, you can allow God to use to just break your heart, to see the absolute importance of the gospel getting out there. And so she comes home like two months later, and I think this is July 1947. She shares a message before a bunch of collegiate leaders, and she's talking about uh, having, you know, kind of a college gathering. They called it the college briefing conference. It's actually something I think that still goes on today at, uh, uh, forest home retreat center in the San Bernardino mountains. I believe it still happens to this day, but back in 1947, she, she preaches this message and she talks about her time being in Europe. She talks about how the world is absolutely lost and morally bankrupt without Christ and how we desperately need to reach the world with the gospel. We need to allow God to use our lives and she's just absolutely broken. She actually finishes preaching that message. And four young men uh, go to meet with her after the service. And their hearts are just broken for the world. And they they actually decide to pray together. They pray. They end up praying through the night, Ken. They end up literally praying all night long for the world and praying out of desperation. And I think this is important, by the way, because of what's going on in the world today. I think what's going on in the world is hopefully breaking people's hearts and saying, we need you to move, God. We need you to move in our world. And as they pray, God just visits them powerfully. They're at Forest Home Retreat Center is where this this happened. 
And one of those men was Louis Evans Jr., who later went on to be the pastor of Capital Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He went on to, I believe, lead uh, the chairman of the board of World Vision, if I'm not mistaken, for many years uh, and, and had a significant impact on a lot of things. Uh, Bill Bright was one of those young men. He had gotten saved a few months before, and God gave him a vision during that night of prayer of college students all over the world getting a part of God's mission and being a part of God's mission on campuses. And that led him into launching Campus Crusade for Christ. But what you, what you find later from Henrietta's life is that many of the ministries that we know of today, Promise Keepers might be the only one that wasn't started by someone that she mentored, but probably was uh, started by someone who was impacted by someone she mentored. Because it's like so many of the ministries that we have today came out of that season. And I say that to say this, even by the way, Billy Graham was greatly impacted by her. There's there's a really powerful story about that. But I say that to say that we need to allow the desperation of what's going on in the world to break our hearts. And I don't know if you feel this way, Ken, but I just, I just can't shake the feeling since January of 2019. Now, I've been in ministry for 20 years and I haven't gone around prophesying this or saying this, but since January of 2019, I felt a very strong sense in my heart that a massive revival is coming. And that's just grown and grown and grown. Now, through the last year, there's been moments that I've questioned that, <laughs> you know, and I've been like, uh, this doesn't really look like what I was expecting to happen. But I'm a positive guy and I'm a big believer that things can't just stay bad. I believe great things are coming. How would you live right now? This is what I'd ask. How would you live right now if you knew a massive revival was coming very soon? What kind of person you would you be through difficult times and dark times and confusing times? Would And I just want to encourage people to be a person, like the scripture talks about in Acts 6, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. To be a person who's full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, who trusts God, who's a person of, who's leaning into prayer right now during this time and praying for our nation, our world. And I just want to see an army of men, by the way. And I'm sure there's women who, who listen and watch this too, but... I want to see an army of men who will be men of faith and men of prayer through this time because I do I do believe like really good things are coming. I just I can't shake it still. And so uh I think we need like Henrietta to allow the difficult season to break our hearts and say God, you're our only hope because I, I believe God's going is and will respond to that. Well, I think you're right. Unfortunately, what we see from history is that revival tends to come from pain. It comes from desperate people. And, you know, even going back to the very beginning, and you look at scripture, the Christians of the early church got pretty comfortable pretty fast. And people don't really, if you don't really study a lot of history, they don't realize the devastation that Titus brought on to Jerusalem in AD 70. They estimate he killed a million people. Back in those days, he was taking people to the top of the gates and just throwing them into Gehenna, the, the valley that we call hell where they would burn bodies and the, the church scattered like crazy. And that's where everything went crazy. And the church really took off across the world was the Christians had to be interrupted from their comfort in Jerusalem with the great leader of James who had been killed before Titus ever got there. And then you look at the, the, the great awakening of 1739, 1740, or what was going on, the French and Indian war, massive epidemic of alcoholism, of abuse, of uh, what was, the awakening conscious of people around slavery. Um, there was a lot of misery that was going on, 
the birth, the other what would like birth rate then was the same as it is today, 39%. We, we think of those moral times. You look at the second great awakening under Moody and Spurgeon and, and Finney and all those guys, desperate times of, of, you know, the civil war and all kinds of pain that came. I think right now we see the beginnings of the pain. I think this COVID uh, thing, um, we're seeing a totalitarian rise in our government, a lack of shutting down of freedoms. Christians, for the first time, are starting to think maybe maybe they are going to come. Maybe they, this persecution will become real. We've been whining about it for a while. We haven't persecuted. But it may be really coming. So I do think revival comes out of a place of pain and desperation. It doesn't come from a place of comfort. It comes with people turn to God because they finally realize he is the only source of joy. He is the only source of security. Right now, I'm just, I'm terrified for where we're at at this moment when I see Christians willing to sacrifice freedom for safety, and it's a fake safety. Um, But I do believe it will lead us to a place of desperation and revival. And I hope, man, I hope this is the last great revival and Jesus comes back and sets himself up in Jerusalem and says, I'm in charge now, boys and girls. I, I can't wait for that moment. But as James Robinson said to me last week, Christians today need to stop being so worried about the kingdom to come and a lot more worried about the kingdom that's here on earth right now. Yeah. And you mean God's kingdom, of course. So we're here to uh, establish uh, the rule and reign of Jesus in our own lives and our families and the world around us. I think we are out of time, man, because you got an interview in two minutes. Uh, For people who um, have been listening to this and they say, I want to be a better evangelist. I I want to be someone that leads people to Christ, but I don't know how, I mean, I just don't, I don't know where to go. And there's, there's like really a lack of trading on that. Matt, where do they go? How do they find the tools to go out and start a conversation up with somebody or be on Facebook and start to be a positive influencer? What do they do? Right. Well, I hope that my book, uh, True Plus Love will help. I also want to recommend uh, my friend, Mark Middlebur's book that is just coming out. Contagious Faith is what it's called. Uh, and then Uh, You know, something that we're doing as well as a ministry is we felt a burden to raise people up to share their faith online. So we have a site, digitalbillygrams.com, where we're just encouraging uh, people on how to impact more people online. It's kind of this this, uh, ministry to other people to help them and, and, and equip them to do more of that. We'd love to have people check that out as well. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for making the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to On The Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. 
cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.